Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You're listening to Linux in the Ham Shack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 273 of Linux in the Ham Shack. And uh, there's only two of us here tonight. I'm Russ, K5TUX. Cheryl is uh, under the weather, as I have been for the last uh, four days now, which is uh, really getting old. Uh, But uh, we also have... Yeah, Bill, NE4RD. Good evening. So we have a deep dive episode this time around. Uh, We went through our weekender and our short topics um, over the last week. And uh, we're going to tackle a topic that was actually suggested to us by a listener. And uh, it's something we've touched on piecemeal uh, over the last 10 years. Uh, mentioned various applications and various ways of, of doing spotting and tracking and, and figuring out where things are on the bands. Uh, but Steve, KD0IJP, wanted to you know get sort of an in-depth look at the idea of uh, spotting and figuring out where you can find other hams on the bands and uh, what utilities are out there for doing that, and uh, also how you can keep track of that that information and, and make it useful to you, and uh, what other things you can do and, and in what other ways and on what platforms you can uh, keep track of that information. So we're going to do a deep dive into DX spotting. And uh, <clears throat> since uh, my whole universe is kind of screwed right now. <laughs> I'll probably let Bill do a lot of the talking tonight, but I'll, I'll try and jump in when I can. Um, so the first thing we're going to do when we talk about DX spotting is kind of discuss what DX spotting is. And the idea is very simple. It's um, how do you find another amateur out there? Or if you're looking, say, specifically for a ham in France, say, or in Slovenia or something where, uh, because you're trying to get a work to all countries or something like that. Well, I mean, yeah, you can just spin the dial up and down until you actually stumble across something like that. But wouldn't it be easier if there was actually a live database of information out there where you could just look up and see, oh, uh, you know, UX1DL4 or UX1DLC or whatever in wherever that would be, uh, is actually on the air on 14.216, and you can get out there and, and try and contact them. That certainly makes the whole process a lot easier. Well, it just so happens there is a network out there for keeping that kind of information. And uh, there's there's a, a group, there's a server platform, uh, a network server platform, uh, the DX cluster servers, and there are various clients for accessing those servers. So uh, the core of the thing is uh, the server side. And uh, we didn't sort of organize it this way, but we should probably talk about the servers first because that's where all the information is stored. So if you want to talk about 
uh, DX Spider, I guess. Uh, it was probably where sure. we should start. We can. Uh... Sure. Uh, so, like, <clears throat> there are more than just DX Spider, but DX Spider is probably the most current and most commonly ran uh, uh, server entity for storing and passing and forwarding on DX information and uh, accepting spots and everything else from uh, all the connected users. Um, the DX cluster, uh, according to the DX spider documentation, is a packet node, uh, or it could be internet, <laughs> where DX chasers on any band mode can post rare or interesting stations they have worked or heard. And this is a way that users can crowdsource all that information. And uh, a lot of people have their logging programs uh, set up to go ahead and post directly into uh, you know spotting uh, their spotting DX cluster. Um, which would be running DX Spider, most likely. And uh, this runs on either Linux or Windows. It's kind of a, a console-based uh, application or service-based app. And it uh, is basically nothing more than uh, interfaces to the network side of things. So a user can telnet into it if that interface is open. Or if it's through packet, it brings up an AX25 connection. So you can run a packet connection directly into it. Um most uh, users today will will use be using Telnet. <laughs> Not many users are using Packet, but I remember connecting into, into our uh, our Packet BBS and uh, doing uh, DX information. You could do a show DX there, and uh, there's a whole bunch of uh, command line stuff that you can learn and use while you're connected to the server. Uh, that'll show you not only uh, uh, DX information. But uh, you can actually pass messages, uh, announce messages that can be seen. Uh, you can pass notes onto your uh, your your spots. So you can say uh, he's uh, on fourteen dot oh two five zero. He's listening up five. Um, so it's not just set frequency and calls. You know, you can actually put some language in there as well. You'll notice if you look at spots for. Uh, six meters, you'll see normally a propagation uh, sometimes is tagged onto it, whether it's Ease or Tropo or um, Aurora, uh, some kind of propagation mode. Uh, same thing with UHF and VHF. Uh, they also experience those as well. Um, what else is on there? Um, normally when you log into the DX cluster for the first time on DX Spider, you do have to set your location. Uh, you just type in and normally ask for your call sign when you log in. You just type in your call. Generally, it, it doesn't look up. <laughs> Some people have it already set up to do a lookup. Um, if not, it'll go ahead and ask you to set those information points up. And all you need to do is just uh, you can set your address. You can set your name, um, your uh, QTH, and your locator. So and that would be your grid square. Um, that's the easiest thing to use. And you'll notice that as you move on to the web interfaces to these DX clusters, um, servers, that it's all very similar. <laughs> the filtering is, exa is exactly the same. It's just, uh, brought and exposed out to the user in a more friendly way. Um, not only from the web UIs, uh, but we also have some desktop, uh, clients to talk about as well. And I, I think that's enough about the server. Um, I don't, I don't really, I didn't run one to install one, but, uh, we did uh, talk about uh, this, uh, Docker image of, um, 
pushing out your own DX uh, cluster server that makes it real easy to spin one up and uh, test one like in a droplet or or at a Docker um, Docker server if you have your own if you're just playing with it. And that is linked on <coughs> GitHub. And um, I know we've talked about it in the past. It's a DX Spider deployment package from uh, K Conkus, which is Christian uh, Conkus. And uh, I don't have his call sign, but I know we've mentioned it in the past. Um, makes it real easy to set up uh, set up your environment. Uh, basically, you just put in what your call sign is, uh, just like an APRS call sign, be your call dash and number, <laughs> your sysop name and sysop call sign. And where the location of the server is, uh, Latin lawn and locator and your emails, contact information. And, uh, I believe that's all you need to get it up and running. And in order to connect it to other nodes, I believe there's some more configuration to do that. But again, we're not really talking about the servers this time around. Um, if you were interested in more information about that, I'll be happy to, uh, kind of go through that myself <laughs> and, uh, we could talk about that at a later date, but, um, I believe we'll just go ahead and go into the clients from here, unless you wanted to say something else for us about the server. The server part is probably the least interesting part for most people because they're actually just trying to, to do actual spotting. They're not trying to set up a way to get in and do their own thing. Cause there are lots of servers out there. And most of them are networked together and they all contain the same information. Um, I, I will say that generally speaking, the one that I use is uh, dxusa.net. Um, that one seems to work really well. And I always have uh, you know, good connectivity to it. Um, a lot of them, because it's a, a true telnet interface, it literally uses a telnet protocol. Um, <clears throat> some of them will run on port 23. Uh, and others of them will run on port 7300. Those seem to be the standards. Uh, I'm sure there are a few outliers out there, but if you, if you just have a console with telnet access, uh, that can be, uh, the most simple client there is. You just telnet to dxusa.net 7300, for example. It gives you a login prompt. You type in your call sign. Once you type in your call sign, it gives you a few options for setting your QTH, your, uh, QRA. Um, your name and various things like that. And then it just starts spinning spots at you. So, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's literally the simplest way to get into it. If you, if you've got a terminal, um, but there are also lots of other ways. If you have a windows machine or an Android phone or, or a web client. Uh, so we're going to go through some of those now and some of the different options that are available to you. Cause some of them have some neat features, uh, not available uh, via just a CLI telnet interface. That's my cue for you to continue. <laughs> okay, <sorry. laughs> that's okay. I was I was just found another one. So, <laughs> ah, cool. Well, I, was, I mean, uh, it's it's not it's not a small world. Uh, in, in the realm of DX clients or DX cluster clients, there are lots of them. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So they basically all do very similar stuff. And I'm just going to push this one in here because I noticed that's what I'm connected to. Um, let me let me uh, talk about telnet. the one that I put in first, just because I really like it because it has a couple of cool things that I think some of the other ones don't. Cool. Uh, um, and this is a web-based client. Um, when you want to take a, a level up from just staring at a console screen and a courier ten point, um, there's there's one called DX Heat, um, which I think is actually the first in the list. I'm not even looking at the Ethernet yeah. right now. Uh, I'm looking at dxheat.com right now. Uh, the link is actually dxheat.com/dxc uh, for for the DX cluster. Uh, 
the, the things that, that really make this one stand out to me is uh, it's a full um, async interface. So, I mean, when you load it up, it, it just starts, you know, scrolling stuff at you. So really simple to, you know, get into. You don't have to really do anything. It just starts giving you spots. Um, if you happen to enter your call sign over on the right, uh, there's a, uh, yeah, there's a search box. It, you can just uh, put your call sign or any call sign in on the right hand side and it will filter on that. So super simple to do that. There are filter buttons on the left. Um, you can enable or disable any of the different options, which include band, mode, DX entity, uh, continent, um, yeah, I already said entity. Um, and also the source. And this, I guess the source is the, the server that it's actually getting the information from. So um, basically what it gives you is a, a column list and it starts left to right. You have the spot, who, who did the spot, um, the frequency of the spot. It gives you a nice uh, flag to represent the country of the spot, um, who the spot is. Uh, a tag column, which actually will give you whether or not the entity being spotted is a valid user in EQSL or Logbook of the World. It will even tell you if that entity is active or intermittent user of those services. A uh, comment field where, uh, as Bill mentioned before, you could say things like, well, the signal is really good here into, you know, wherever you're spotting from or they're operating split, you know, they're up 10 or whatever. Um, or uh, like some other things I see here are that like this station is calling CQ. So, you know, if you're looking for that particular country or whatever, you can jump in. And then, of course, it gives you time and date. Uh, but what's really neat about this is once you log in, you can submit a spot to it and you'll see your spots come up as, as you do. Um, it, it's really easy to submit a spot. You just put in the information, uh, the call sign, it will log the time and date, um, the frequency and your comments, and it will, it will show up. But the thing that makes DX heat kind of cool is the heat map. And I think that's why it's called DX heat. Um, but there's a band activity thing. You set the drop down to whatever country you're in or whatever uh, continent you're in, sorry, not country. Um, for example, North America. And then, Based on the number of spots, it gives you a heat map based on other continents and frequency until, and so you can see like how popular that band is. It's, it's almost like whisper or something else that can sort of tell you where propagation is good between. Like, for example, right now there's a big red spot, um, for me on the EU on 40 meters which kind of gives you an indication that there's a lot of spots there. It's, it's, a, it's purely based on the number of spots that are being reported to uh, DX Heat, but that gives you an idea that propagation on 40 meters from North America into the EU is really good right now. Um, and you can also see smaller windows into, uh, for example, Africa on 40 meters. There's uh, a few spots there as well. So um, I do like that functionality. Um, and that's one of the things that kind of makes this one a little different than some of the others, but its core functionality is the same. So, uh, Bill, I guess you can roll on with some of the other ones. Well, yeah, like uh, I did want to mention a couple other things that surprisingly okay. you didn't mention. Are you going to talk about uh, solar, uh, the, uh, solar activity? 
No. Okay. Well, no, no. Actually, a couple, a couple of things. Uh, one, one thing, the DX heat looks really nice on a phone. Uh, so like this could be a standalone phone app if you are connected that way. It, uh, does uh, fold the interface quite nicely. So it's readable. But if you click the call sign, the DX station call sign, like there's HQ9X, it gives you a little dialogue window where you can look at the stats of the call like how often that they've been listed there as well as like uh, what bands and, and how many times they've been spotted in which year and stuff like that gives you a lot of kind of interesting uh, information, but there's a cool pair of little headphones here that if you click on the headphones, it opens a new window for with uh, web SDR and you can hear mine opening up here. Yep. <laughs> It'll actually find the closest web SDR on WebSDR.org and automatically tune that uh, that station in, and it'll try to find it. Uh, here's, let's see, this one should be CW. So this is TI2TL. Sounds like it's a voice. There he is. So, like, that's that's kind of cool. Let me try that online. <laughs> but I think I can do that over here. Let's really? Let's try. Really yeah. neat feature. I honestly didn't know about it. <laughs> yeah i was just playing around with it and i was like wow that's i was like what the, what do you mean i can have headphones i was like what does that use so uh surprise surprise it uses websdr.org um definitely a cool website that we've talked about in the past yeah absolutely so yeah lots of things that make sort of dx heat sort of stand out from some of the other ones um because i'm not aware that the other ones do anything along those lines but i haven't investigated them quite as thoroughly as i have this one i don't even remember where i found out about dx heat i know it was a few years ago but uh <laughs> yeah i remember them talking about the heat map and that was the big thing and uh, i really I, I haven't really messed around with it because i generally use the uh, client-based ones uh so I, I don't even use the web ones anymore except for the occasion i'll use dx summit which we'll talk about next um and why don't we do that? Let's go ahead and move it's on from good. this one, unless you wanted to play around uh, some more no, with it. I mean, I did hit one there, but it didn't give me anything. So let me try the one you were doing. T T I two, yeah. yeah T I two T L. Yep, definitely in there. Cool. Yeah. So uh, yeah, check that out. That's at uh, dxe.com. And the next one we're gonna talk about is DX Summit. That one's been around for a long time. I remember using DX Summit early in the web <laughs> days. <laughs> and, uh, so it's been around for a long time, but they have updated their web UI and it is very phone friendly as well. Um, it offers exactly the same information. I think most spotting networks have probably copied it or, or uh, you know, emulated uh, the way DX Summit does. If you take DX Summit and DX Heat's main web pages, they look very similar. The layout's very similar, probably because it's easy for users to to look at and everything else. A couple of standout features with uh, DX Summit that I really, really like is uh, when you do click the call sign for the DX station, you have some options like QRZ and club log. You can actually look those up and get some information about that DX station. But it offers you two other things. If you put your grid square in the uh, website and it has a little spot on the right hand side with a, you know, the little standard little drop pin for a map, you put in your, 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 uh, your grid square locator and you have the option of uh, seeing a vocap prediction for this particular spot, uh, from your location. So you can actually look at the vocap. Uh, prediction, uh, you know, the, 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 the chart that shows you when on what band you, your station has the highest probability of actually making that contact. 
And that's pretty useful information, especially when you're trying to do like a special event or a DX station that uh, is, you know, all time new one or something like that. Um, you don't want to waste your time yelling and yelling for hours and to realize that, yeah, you might be able to hear them, but your best opportunity to actually reach that particular DX station is, you know, two hours from now on 30 meters instead of 40. So, uh, that's pretty useful information. It also has a dropout, uh, for, uh, or a, a drop down. It'll show you the gray line map as well for that location. If you happen to be working some gray line propagation, um, uh, this would show up, uh, quite, uh, quite easily, uh, in a very visible, um, format on the web. So, uh, that's DX Summit. Uh, there's, a there's a lot of other stuff there. Um, let me think here. Is there anything else special? Not really. Uh, the filtering again on these things are, are great. You can filter by mode, location, band, um, just about anything. <laughs> uh, you can look for yourself as well. So, uh, that, that's all you need to know about that. I will one. say that, um, uh, at least on DX heat, I don't know about DX summit, but on DX heat, if you, if you Google or not Google, but if you search for your call sign, even if you're not a current spot, it will go back and show the history, like how many times you've actually been spotted as you know, in the history of DX heat. So if you're ever curious, if you've been spotted, you can find out. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you could do the same thing on uh, DX summit. Uh, they have a, they have a filter on the first set of queries. If you wanted to search for the archive to see how many other times you've been spotted, um, you, you can do that. I just searched for my own call sign and I had to hit the archive because I haven't been online that much. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but I'm in there. <clears throat> so it's, it's possible you are in there too. So, uh, check that out. Uh, that's DX Summit. Uh, another one is, uh, HamQTH. Uh, I, I, that's the one I just kind of threw in there. Uh, I realized that because, uh, you CQR log and the DX cluster application in that connects to HamQTH, which of course makes sense because that's okay to CQRs, uh, <laughs> own node and uh, also a call, you know, call book lookup. Um, so this one is again, very, very straightforward, very similar, uh, in style, not as many features per se, uh, does, uh, link basically back to its own, um, own DX, uh, call book when you click a DX station. So if the user has set up a, uh, a profile on uh, hamqth.com, you'll be able to see that information and whether they have anything else, if they've, uh, you know, if they've set up their preferences for bureau direct or logbook of the world or EQSL. So kind of a, kind of an interface to their own, um, their own call book, probably very similar. I think, I think URZ even has a, has an interface as well. Um, if you go looking for that, um, a couple of special ones that, uh, are sort of similar, but most likely very customized, uh, not necessarily running on DX spider. These look like, uh, more customized ones for their specific activity. There's soda watch for doing summits on the air scheduling and activations. Uh, this is a pretty straightforward app. It also has uh, there's a web, uh, there's a, phone UI for doing soda watch, uh, as well. So you can, uh, do everything on your phone and not really through this interface. If you go to soda watch, you'll see why it's not a very, uh, modern interface. <laughs> it's made to be very simple and uh, clean and sim- easy to use. Uh, and this basically is for people to show like what's going to be coming up really soon, uh, within the next basically, uh, you know, day or time frame within the next, you know, 12 hours or so. Of, of activations that are going to be happening on summits. 
And then any of the summits that are currently activated and currently being spotted will also be listed there. So that's Soda Watch. Um, we have DX Maps. Uh, this one is really cool. I have the uh, feature that e- emails you when there's a propagation opening for six meters. And I've probably mentioned this before on the podcast. Uh, it emails quite often. <laughs> so so I could keep a, at least apprised a of the, the six meter openings that I'm not getting to participate in. Um, but it also has an ability to spot, well, actually a spot to it does a HF and everything else, but I primarily use it for VHF because it does show you, uh, all the stations, uh, you know, in a map format with the little stations and their lines of, of propagation. Uh, so it's kind of an interesting look. You'll see, uh, this one. I think it's, it's not quite the one that they use on the screenshots when they put it into, um, a, the QST magazine. When they do the little VHF and up or whatever, 50 megahertz and up uh, section. Um, but it looks really similar. <laughs> so, uh, so it might be the same. I, I, I had one of my magazines in here in front of me to, to verify that, but it's, it's really neat because you can kind of zoom in and, and see what's going on, or you can look at a list of uh, people working each other and also the mode of propagation, uh, is really interesting to kind of look at. And of course you can get the emails, which make it, uh, you know, a little bit easier to, to know when you need to be uh, on that radio. Um, another VHF one I found here specialty is the APRS Tropo Tracker. And uh, this one is at uh, APRS.menolink.org. And it's basically a map of propagation between APRS nodes that, uh, that can see each other. And it will kind of live uh, as, as tropospheric ducting kind of occurs in areas you'll all of a sudden see uh stations connected that normally aren't connected and uh, they represent it on a map on a i think i said a was it open street map i think that's what it is i think most of the stuff starting to use open street map api because google has gone to like a pay model and i know a lot of stuff is uh dropping off the google map thing because they they either can't afford it or um, they just hate Google or whatever. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you load it, you'll all of a sudden you might have to zoom in a little bit uh, to your area, but you'll start to see uh, stations pop up in these yellow and these green uh, circles and lines and ovals and <laughs> shapes, kind of showing the 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 propagation itself. So um, if you're big into VHF, most likely two meters would be the most useful part for this APRS uh, um, thing. Um, that would probably be a good tool for you to use. It's not necessarily a spotting network because these are already known stations, but uh, it's kind of a cool little propagation enhancement tool for your existing spotting, uh, spotting tools. Uh, what else do we have here? We have the reverse beacon network which is sort of its own thing. They do also have normal spots, uh, I think at some point, or maybe that's the other way around. Some people are consuming reverse beacon network stuff into spotting networks, <laughs> most likely. Uh, and the reverse beacon network is a little different because instead of people spotting people, this is actually set up stations running skimmers uh, that are basically listening for you to call CQ in uh in cw or ridi or ft8 now i believe as well and uh, it'll actually uh send in 
a bunch of telemetry information from all the stations that heard you and how they heard you, like what the signal level was when, uh, when you called. And it's really quick because, uh, you only have to send CQ in your call sign, you know, really just once. But like, if you send it twice, <laughs> uh, you'll definitely see yourself picked up by the reverse beacon network. You can literally, you know, stop the key, type in your name, hit refresh, and, and there you go. You'll see, uh, you know, as long as you're heard. <laughs> <laughs> That, that is the one caveat. You actually have to put a signal out there. Um, but, uh, it works quite well. It's, it's a really a good tool. I've seen people use it as well for antenna testing and stuff like that, just to kind of see propagation. Uh, you know, you can't always hear yourself on the other end. And, you know, you always kind of question some of the, you know, oh, you're 599. Um, well, really? Am I 599? <laughs> what is my signal level there? You know, uh, this gives you more kind of granular information, uh, about your, uh, about your signal level in various locations. So it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a useful tool. You can also use it to sort of pick out spots that aren't automatic. Um, I've kind of used it in the past to see if my friends were uh, working any kind of like sprints or contests or something like that, just so I can go catch them on the air by surprise. <laughs> so I type in their call sign. It's like, oh yeah, look, he's a uh, he's, he's calling CQ on 14 meters. Uh, let me see if I can get him and see what he's doing. And I was like, sure enough, I was uh, I was uh, my friend Mike 85A. He was uh, doing the CW Ops uh, sprint one Wednesday evening. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to go ahead and work them just for fun. I never do these uh, CW ops things, but uh, I use the RBN to actually uh, find them. <laughs> so uh, it's kind of interesting because you know, people in sprints and stuff like that, they generally won't, uh, they won't actually spot each other because it's just kind of noise anyway. It's like, you know, just state to state contact. It's not really DX per se. So you won't see that stuff in the spotting network, but you might be able to pick it up depending upon the mode in the reverse beacon network. So check that one out too. That's a really cool website. Uh, again, designed probably not very web UI friendly. I haven't looked at it on the phone, uh, but just looking at it probably doesn't look superb. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't look like a grid layout or anything else like that. Um, and the other one we got here for a web tool is the PSK reporter. And you all probably know this one quite well because if you use FT8 or Whisper or any of those other ones, they uh, have a little button for you to check if you want to send your spots to uh, PSK Reporter. And uh, this is the one that has the well. Now it's OpenStreetMap. This one, yeah, is specifically OpenStreetMap because I see it uh, laid out there. Uh, let me just click it again. Yeah, speaking of the OpenStreetMap thing. Um Ted was mentioning another one of the uh, clients, uh, web-based clients, uh, dxwatch.com, which is one that's uh, suffering from the map issue. Uh, yeah. They've pulled their maps down. Uh, you can still get the, you know, the textual information and so forth, but no map locator till they yeah. figure out and switch over to the probably the OpenStreetMap, you know, API at some point. Yeah, and so this is kind of like the idea on this PSK reporter is kind of probably similar to the heat map, but not as pretty um, um, as a DX heat because uh, you do get all the drop pins and you get it by band. So you get a good visualization. So if you just go in there right now, you would basically see all the traffic in the last 12 hours by default. Uh, I, I think uh, I think it defaults to FT8 and I didn't set anything and I noticed it's on FT8. So probably the most uh, most active uh, active mode, but you can specify very specific modes you do all modes let me just refresh here 
And uh, you can just hover over any pin in any area. It'll tell you who heard it and where it is and what version of the software they're running. So that's kind of cool, too. You can actually see if they're running a very outdated version. And if you're, like, trying to uh, spy on somebody, <laughs> stalk somebody to try to try to work them on here, and you're like, oh, they're running WSJTX 1.9. I wonder why they can't talk to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, but there's one guy who actually heard them that probably is still running 1.9. Um, but, yeah, so you can see that information. You can see what band they're on. What's really cool is if uh, if you want to see that's everything by a certain station, like I'm just going to pick uh, K0NLE here. He's running 80 meters on, uh, on FT8. And if I click show everything seen and heard by him, it gives you a, a nice little uh, swath of stations that he's hearing. And it uh, sort of overlays it with probably a, what I would probably guess is like a propagation map. Uh and it's a, it's a, it's kind of interesting information uh, to kind of see exactly like what the hop distance is right now on 80 from his house. You can see you can almost visualize the single hop and uh, and the double hop on 80 uh with this uh this particular uh graph or sorry with this particular uh, mapping software and the station. And you could do that to anybody on there in any band. So that's that's kind of a cool tool if you want to kind of dig down into looking at the data. There's there's so many different ways you can look at it on on some of these web tools, which really make them all very very interesting. But I think that's it for uh, for all the web tools that we're going to talk about specifically. We don't want to spend all night talking about the various ones that <laughs> <laughs> all look the same or do very similar functionality. I think this is a good comprehensive uh, collection of uh, uh, sites that you know both cover propagation and spotting, uh, more spotting than propagation, but a little bit of propagation information in there as well, which is always helpful when you're trying to work the DX station from your location. Because uh, the guy that spotted it already worked them. Well, not always. Well, I've not always. Spots. That's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've sent spots for cool sounding stations that I haven't been able to contact, but I can say at least that I've heard them and I know they're on the air. So, you know, someone yeah. else might be able to get them better than I can. So. <clears throat> Uh, but yeah, so if you want something a little more native, you can actually use, like I said, you can use a Telnet client or not a Telnet client at all. You can just Telnet into a DX cluster. But there's a there's a Linux native overlay, X-based overlay on the Telnet client uh, called XDX. This is one of the applications like when we're at Hamvention or any of the other ham radio you know shows that we go to. Um, it's always up on the screen. Uh, because it's an easy way to show live demonstration of, of data coming into the system. Um, but it, it literally is just a an overlay, an X-based uh, GTK Telnet window uh, into a Telnet, into a cluster, because you still have to Telnet in, you still have to log in, you still have to do all the things. But it gives you somewhat of a prettier overlay, and it allows you to set multiple filters um, inside the window, it does give you some added functionality. It does look very dated because it's it's not been prettified. Uh, it's <laughs> it's not uh, Web 2.0. It's not re- responsive or anything like that. But if you just want basic functionality without having a you know a, a terminal window open, you can certainly use XDX. All the functionality is the same, um, but you literally have to interface with the cluster the same way you would with a Telnet client, um, just by typing in on the command line and, uh, you know, submitting the information the same way. Um, 
And then, of course, there's integration with CQR log, which you can speak to much better than I do. Yeah, they have their own little DX cluster window, which, again, goes to HamQTH by default. Again, because it's CQR. Okay, well, his new call sign. <laughs> it's not <laughs> okay to CQR anymore. Um, but anyway, yeah. Well, one of these days we'll learn it, yeah. Yeah, and his, he has a nice interface. Uh, it's very simple. It's very text-based. It's, you know, it looks just like you would if you just tell him that it in. So it's not like he's even putting it into fields and stuff like that. But what he does have is the integration with your logbook. Uh, you know, it is a point-and-click type thing where you, if you see a station and it says, uh, you know, it's 3505 up one, you double click it, it will load it up onto your uh, logging, your log as a station ready to work. It flips the mode, it sets your radio to the right frequency and the right mode, and you're off to the races. So it's, it's a good integration and directly with your, with your rig and your logging. It also will colorize the log based upon whether you've worked them before or you need them or you've already got a confirmed country. So a lot of that stuff is kind of built in as well, very similar with uh, other logging applications that have uh, some cluster integration. Uh, This could use a little bit of love, you know, um, but for the most part, it works. It's functional. It's, it's, It's more than enough to kind of get started. And if you're really hunting DX and you probably are, you know, using a bunch of other tools as well <laughs> with alerting and everything else. Um, I haven't seen anything specific for that in, uh, in all of this. I was, uh, I was kind of looking to see if XDX had any, uh, special features. Um, I know XDX also allows you to enable Hamlib so you can actually, uh, control your rig from that as well by double clicking. Uh, but it does not look like it has log integration at all. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's several options there for you, uh, directly in Linux. Um, and, uh, they're all open source. So you can, uh, you know, help make them better. That's true. You can make them pretty. Pretty is good. Yeah. <laughs> we don't care about it. It's always form, just, you know, it's form over functions. Just, just don't make it an electron app, right? <laughs> write it and go yeah yeah write it and go so uh yeah and i'm sure there's probably something that i haven't seen out there yet but uh i don't know of any other native one in linux i'm not sure i didn't find any other one either and xdx always comes up when you're talking about dx clusters and i think the reason that there aren't any more is because the the idea of the dx cluster is sort of so basic that it's almost achieved perfection in its, um, you know, in its legacy form, I guess. <laughs> I guess no one's figured out how to improve it, at least outside of a web-based interface. Um, yeah, I guess the interface-wise is not really where the improvement needs to be, I guess, for Linux. It would be more along the lines lines of, like, hunting and tracking and stuff like that, where you want, like, special alerts and stuff like that. And I'm not sure you can't do... I guess you can do call sign alert in uh, CQR log. So they do have the ability to do like partial call signs. So if you're looking for certain prefixes and stuff like that, it will, uh, it'll do that for you. So uh, maybe I'll take that back. It looks like it'll do that. Fine. Uh, 
and don't get it wrong because we'll hear from Peter. I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. No, I was, I was looking. <laughs> yeah, it has has some basic setups. He must have like a little regular expression uh, lookup. I, I look at the code, but and most likely that's that's probably what he has set up <laughs> <laughs> to take your input and turn it into uh, regex strings. And if it matches, it'll it'll go ahead and alert you. Um, so yeah, so if you want to go to that route, you could do that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, there you go. Those are the two desktop clients that, uh, that we have shown. And then what else we got? Well, we have, uh, if you want to go all crazy on yourself, uh, you can, you can do this mobily if you want. Um, I did find one client for iOS, uh, called iCluster. Um, it's not highly rated, but it actually works just fine if you uh, want to download it and install it and use a use it on your iPhone or your iPad or whatever. Uh, it does cost two dollars and ninety nine cents. So if you want to do it this way, you're going to spend a little bit of money. Um, but the the functionality is all there. Uh, you can filter in various ways by by pretty much any field that's available to a normal uh, DX cluster spot. Uh, you can, uh, also sign in so you can log entries. You can, um, integrate your app with AMQTH or QRZ.com for doing lookups. Uh, once you've actually seen a spot roll through your screen, it does allow you to keep, uh, the app online and keep your phone or iPad from going to sleep. If you actually want to keep the thing rolling while you're, uh, doing your operation. Uh, with another device. Um, you can also get that same application, iCluster, for Android devices. It's actually cheaper on Android devices, only 99 cents. Uh, but there are other ones for Android. In fact, there are many. Um, the top-rated one that I saw was NKC Cluster, which does all the same things, uh, and it doesn't cost a dime. So if you happen to be an Android user, then you can download that as well. It has all the same functionality. Uh, has a pretty clean interface, of course, designed for mobile devices, so it will uh, look just fine to you if you happen to have a phone, uh, like your Samsung or Pixel or whatever it is you got. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and again, there are many, many other options out there. If you do a Google search for DX Cluster Android, you, I mean, there's tons of them. Um, so if you want to spot that way, uh, that's another option for you. And uh, then we have uh, the... The, the wiki basically for DX Spider, which has tons and tons and tons of information about, uh, the back end of DX Spider, the, the command references, uh, your installation administration procedures and all the things that actually, uh, explain how the network actually works and all that. So if you really, if you want to go deeper into the dive than we're going into the dive, then, uh, that wiki for dxcluster.org is where you'll find more information than you probably ever wanted to know about DX clusters. But if you really want to get into it, uh, perhaps make your own server, your own client, or, or anything like that, or, or integrate more uh, basically with, with the data structure of a DX cluster client or a DX cluster server, that's where you'll find the information. Unless you had something else you wanted to add about that. No, no, I think that's good. That's, uh, that's the master reference for everything that there is interacting with the Telnet cluster. So, um, yeah, if you, uh, if you want us to deep dive into something uh, along those lines, you know, let us know, send us some feedback and speaking of feedback and announcements. Yeah. I, I we guess got we some stuff to talk to about. Yeah, yeah, we do. 
Uh, so let's talk about announcements real, real fast first. Uh, so, um, we'll just talk about a couple of things that we've talked about already before, but we want to keep them in the forefront of everyone's mind. Um, particularly our Hamvention 2019 campaign, which is going pretty well so far. Um, we're about 20% of the way to where we need to be. Um, would, I'd like to get there sort of by the end of March or early April. Uh, that would be sort of ideal just to make sure we get everything, uh, set up, paid for, and, and are able to make sure we're packed and ready to go when the time comes around. So if you would, but if you can, please donate to the Hamvention 2019 campaign. Uh, the URL for that is url.bcts.info slash hvc2019. And of course, it's posted everywhere. I'm trying to keep, you know, from flooding the social media networks with it, but it's out there. It's also on the website. Um, and before that, the Wednesday before Hamvention, which is actually May 15th, if I remember correctly, we'll be doing that eyeball QSO party uh, at Zydeco's in Mooresville, uh, starting somewhere around 6 or 6.30, you know, somewhere in there. It doesn't really matter. It's kind of informal, but if you're anywhere in the Indianapolis area, you know, on the way to Hamvention, feel free to stop by. We'll have a good old time and a, probably a shrimp boil and who knows what else. Um, we also have uh, our deep dive topics. We have we have been getting some. I want to thank everybody who's submitted ideas. Uh, it's great. It actually helps us flesh out some of our ideas for future episodes. Um, so we have several lined up, but we can always use more. So if you have any ideas for what you'd like to hear about in a deep dive topic, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you, know, you can send the email to info at lhspodcast.info. Uh, or hit us up on the Discord server or an IRC, and uh, we'll add you to the list. And let's see. Finally, we have, uh, if you want to support the program uh, on a, in a regular basis, uh, you can subscribe uh, via Patreon, or you can uh, subscribe via PayPal. There are links to both on the website, and uh, we appreciate that support very much. Uh, it helps keep the lights on here and helps keep us you know, rolling along on a, a weekly basis so we can keep producing the show. And uh, like I said on the past couple of episodes, we're really, really close to getting a disbursement from Google AdSense. So if you happen to go to the website, lhspodcast.info, and click on the sponsored ads on the right-hand column, I know it's painful to click on sponsored ads, but if you would do that, um, <laughs> it doesn't cost you actually anything, and uh, it will actually be a fairly sizable payout for us here in the next uh couple of weeks or so if we can get a few people to click on some ads so we would appreciate that clicky 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 i mean i click on ads too i don't even know if it helps me but i'm doing it <laughs> so <laughs> um and then moving on from announcements we have a couple bits of feedback this first one i'll go ahead and read and then you can probably answer or uh, we'll both try and answer i guess um i know you've talked to is it etu emu Something like that. <laughs> yeah, E2. 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 Yeah. Uh, in the Discord. But uh, this is from Ellis, uh, Sierra Alpha Zero, Bravo Sierra Echo. And he says, hello, I've been listening for a while now, not more than a year yet, though. I know that you've been releasing ISOs of Ubuntu that come pre-baked with some software used by ham radio operators. Uh, but I'm not willing to switch distro just to use some software that isn't available in NixOS, uh, which is my distro of choice. So I'd rather fix it. So that it's available 
without changing my environment. So I asked a friend of mine what software he thinks is important for ham radio operators and pointed me to this EPA. Um, there's a reference to it, I guess. Uh, yeah. Yeah, which is that Ubuntu Hams Updates right. one, which is way out there. <laughs> uh, and I looked through it and found a lot of things that really don't work on new Ubuntu. For example, I tried to package up Morse. I got the package to build but not to run. Uh, let's see. Yeah, yeah, skip through. Um, my friend also pointed out that the PPA was too out of date for him to be happy and it was missing some software that he finds important. The one he was missing is contact, uh, contest logger named TLF. Uh, we have mentioned that one, but we don't talk about it a lot. Uh, JNOS for packet radio, which we, I don't think we've ever mentioned. Um, and AX25 apps and AX25 tools, which we do mention, but we don't really talk about packet much. Uh, so the big question is what software is the most complete and up to date of the actually usable software on modern systems that any ham radio operator would be interested in? Uh, my ultimate goal with this question is based on the fact that NixOS is always very good at making live ISOs with custom configuration. So I'm planning on packaging up all the software that is needed to make a good experience for someone working ham radio in NixOS. My goal with this uh, later on is to make a live ISO of NixOS dedicated to the ham radio software for people to try out. 73ALS-SA0BSE. Uh, obviously, we're going to mention the uh, Debian Ham Radio Pure Blend, which would certainly contain all of the packages that we would think were uh, m- mostly uh, useful to the ham radio world. I think there may be a couple of outliers. Um, yeah, and we've have those um, in our particular uh, build that we've done. We've, we've added the PPAs to the specific uh, family of, of software that you need, like GQRX being the most recent, uh, all those SDR libraries being updated. Um, you know, that's, that's what we went through the pain and suffering of, of <laughs> putting together the little build is, is to make sure that, uh, you had kind of the, uh, everything that was already updated that needed to be updated that was out there that at least I could find, um, would work for you. And, uh, yeah, Ellis has, uh, been talking to us, uh, on and off in the chat room. We're different time zones, obviously, uh, with him with the Sierra Alpha Zero call. <laughs> He's not quite a local, uh, to our time zones out here in the, uh, in the, in the West and the mid, I guess mid central, right? Whatever you are, right? <laughs> central, yes. Central, yeah, U.S. So, uh, yeah, we've been touching base, and uh, this is what kind of provoked us to talk a little bit about Nix OS in the previous uh, episodes. And uh, he has since then uh, added uh, added uh, Pulse Audio, as he said, to uh, to to the new ISO build. Uh, I saw some comments on the merge request uh, <laughs> in Nix OS about that um, because they run the ISO as root, and it has to run certain escalated modes of uh <laughs> of the audio stuff that the, they were not un, not terribly comfortable with but uh that makes complete sense uh yeah so uh most of the stuff you're going to be able to find uh on the ham radio pure blend with a few of the adjustments that we made uh with the ppas uh just download one of our isos or you know, even on the video i think on the youtube videos we put the uh put the ppas that i actually put into the packaging uh in that as well um, I would highly recommend anything that comes off of those packages. Uh, TLS specifically, I, I know we've talked about this one. It's not in the pure blend that I have installed. Um, so I'd have to kind of look and see why that's fallen out. Um, probably because it is, uh, probably abandoned at some point. It is on my machine. Uh, let me see where it comes from. Uh, let's see. The pure blend here. Yeah, I don't have this. This machine doesn't have any um, doesn't have any extra repos or PPAs, and it is. Let's see what I've got on here. 
Yeah, and I'm looking at... Oh, no, I do have it installed. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't have a web... I bet you that's what it is. It doesn't have a icon because it's command line only. <laughs> yeah, that's CLI, right? Uh, okay, yeah. So anyway, yeah, so it's in there too. Yep. So And uh, the version that I'm seeing here is uh, 1.30-2. Wow, that's new. So than hopefully... What do I got? I got one uh, TLF, one two four on mine. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's in there. <laughs> yeah, so now I'm running the 1804.2, uh, I guess, uh, distro. Um, the latest uh, LTS. I haven't gone to the 1810. Probably wait till the 1904 uh, for bacon, anything new. Um, all the packet radio stuff is there. I'm not sure about JNOS. What is that? Have you used that before? I have not used JNOS or J, yeah, JNOS. JN, JNOS. Yeah, I don't even, it's not definitely not a command line thing. Uh, uh, let's just see, uh, app to install. It's not in my repo. A-N-O-S. Let's see what that comes up with. Nothing comes up search with that, so that's not even packaged. Um, yeah, I don't know. You'll have to give us some information on that, or maybe we'll look that up. Uh, as for uh, the Morse thing, I, I highly recommend QRQ. It is in there, and it runs really well. It's a great little uh, Morse code uh, practice software. Um, um, that's all I could really say about that. Uh, What's win- yeah. Windows software? What's Windows software? A-N-O-S. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh. Win32 oh. native windows. Then why are you asking us about that? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I did install Windows 95 on my uh, my Linux box here. <laughs> did you see that come out? You could actually run it in Electron. <laughs> windows 95 running inside of Electron. Electron. Great. Isn't that awesome? I think it's a snap or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Ellis, thanks. Thanks a lot for contacting us and thanks for keeping the dialogue going in the chat room. And uh, I hope to hear, uh, hear, hear more, more success in the, that, uh, project you got going on with, uh, NixOS and getting all the ham stuff. You know, the more, the more, uh, distributions we can have that are fully outfitted with, uh, the packages that makes it easy for people to get a box going, the better we're going to be. So, uh, so it's all, all good for the hobby, no matter what. So uh, thanks a lot for uh, sending that feedback in, and we'll we'll talk to you again. All right, very good. I'm just doing a little research on JNOS here. It says uh, JNOS is not software. It is, what does it say here? All about JNOS. The Swiss Army Knife of Packet Radio. It's an operating system, not an application. It acts as a digipeter and or crossband digipeter. You can uplink and download with it using plain old AX25. Contains a bulletin board. Number of radio interfaces, blah, 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 blah. So apparently uh, there's some information on running it on uh, Raspberry Pi and stuff like that. So it's not uh, OS-specific. Apparently it is an OS. So that's something I don't know anything about. Yeah, it looks like there's a, a version 2 coming out. So yep, Jane OS 2. Yep. Yeah, and that one is running in Linux. Well, well, maybe we all need to learn a little more about JNOS. Hey, maybe there's a deep dive in there. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll take a look at that. And maybe you can augment your previous uh, APRS one. Yeah. All right. Very good. Cool. Yeah. So thanks, Ellis, for uh, sending that to us. Uh, I'm assuming it's Ellis or Elis or Elise or whatever, <laughs> since you're <laughs> Swedish. Um, not really sure how it goes. I should, but I don't. Uh, and finally, uh, we had a comment on one of your um, you know, Ubuntu build videos over on the YouTube channel from Dave Ramirez. And he says, wow, I'm so excited to have found your podcast and this channel. So there you go. 
Very cool. Wowzers. Yeah, I know. <laughs> We're excited uh, that you found us, Dave. Yeah. How are those videos doing over there? They must be doing all right. I mean, people are got, still finding them. I got 264 subscribers over there. Ooh. Let's see. Let's see what uh, we got for. I think when, when you started doing those videos, I think we had like 30. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, so. Oh, so we picked some up. Yeah, we yeah, picked up a few. Yeah. <laughs> so let's see. Uh, oh, our number, uh, number nine of the last 10 videos. Let's see. What does it say? Our number one video is. No, that can't be it. Shop Talk episode three? No way. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, we haven't done so. one of those for forever. So yeah, we need to we need to do that. Actually, that's our most recent one. Let's see. Let's look at views. That's just so interesting to see this. So yeah, number one video is uh, the building your Ubuntu Hamshack computer part one. We have nineteen hundred views on that. That's really cool. Yeah, that's uh, excellent. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for watching those guys, and uh, we're gonna eventually try to put some more content up there. <laughs> yeah, if I could stop being sick for a day or two, that'd be great. And we could. <laughs> Yeah, and I see uh, the latest versions of OBS are coming out with some of the uh, encoder happiness love for uh, Intel and everything else. So uh, hopefully we'll be able to do some really uh, really cool uh, non-CPU binding to, <laughs> to our <laughs> encoding on OBS. And uh, I'll, I'll report back to you shortly on that. That uh, I see that that I just got the update the other day. I definitely have to work on that too. Usually, the issue with me is not uh, processor, uh, you know, binding or processor bounding. It's uh, network bounding. So, yeah, <laughs> for sure, but, for sure. Alrighty, all right. Well, I think that definitely brings us down to the end. So, I want to thank everybody to you know who tuned into the show tonight. Uh, we appreciate everybody who listens and everybody who supports the show one way or another. Please check out the Hamvasion 2019 campaign. We'd love to see everybody out there in May. And uh, with that, I think we'll just go ahead and wrap this one up. So for the, uh, the chat room people. Oh, of course. Yes. Uh, do you I'll go ahead and mention the chat yeah. room people? <laughs> yeah. So uh, in the chat room tonight, we've had uh, KC9ZMY. Don was here. WA0EIR. Ted was here as well. And uh, KD2PPG. Roger was here. And he put on a, a, a link to a video for an MMDVM build that I'll have to check out later in the uh, Discord channel so uh check that out if uh you're in discord later just scroll back up to the history and you can check that out all right cool so uh we'll catch you all in a week's time when we uh get ready to do this all over again with our short topics and uh, until then for the uh under the weather cheryl w5moo i'm russ k5tux and i'm bill any 73 Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the program by visiting the LHS Patreon page of patreon.com stroke lhspodcast or using the contribute link on the website. Get in touch via social media. The show has a presence on Google+, Facebook, Twitter, Discord and YouTube. Or you can drop an email to info at lhspodcast.info or record a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the IRC channel, 
LHS podcast on the Freenode IRC network. Also visit the online merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable LHS merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a Linux convention or ham fest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info or visit the website for details. The podcast is recorded live every Monday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Connect to the stream at stream.blacksparrowmedia.net colon 8008 stroke LHS live. Until next time, over and out. in the ham shack and the linux in the ham shack logo are released under a creative commons attribute non-commercial no derivatives 4.0 international license